Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If this podcast has encouraged you in any way, we'd like to ask you to leave a review for Truth Wars on whichever platform you listen on. Now, here's Olin. Romans chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now these are two fairly famous verses, well known, um, and this verse is jam-packed with little phrases that if you read it fast, you might pass over and not really deeply consider enough. So in verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, and y'all probably heard this before if you've ever been in a Bible study, if there's therefore, you need to look and see what is it there for. And it's referring to the first 11 chapters of Romans. And don't worry, we're not going to go read all of those, but I'm going to try to just give a very brief, quick overview. Many people would say that uh, the letter to the Roman church that the Apostle Paul wrote is the greatest book of the whole Bible, uh, meaning it's the greatest letter that's ever been written. And what he does for the majority of the first 11 chapters is he basically gives a bottom line, but he actually goes into a lot of detail, distillation of the Christian message, the essence of the Christian truth. And it's just this, okay, that there is one God, uh, that God did create all people, that God made all people to worship Him, to know Him, to have a friendship with Him, to have fellowship with Him, and to serve Him. But that all people have chosen to rebel. And because of that rebellion, all people deserve God's wrath, God's anger, judgment in this life and the next. But because God is so rich in mercy, you see there in verse 1, He refers to in view of God's mercies, God did not choose to leave us in our sins. We were hopeless without God. There were no amounts of good works that we could have done. Even if we lived in the Old Testament and we were Moses himself, keeping the Ten Commandments to the best of our ability, nobody could ever serve God enough, work hard enough to pay off the sin debt they owed and be saved. But God's so rich in mercy, He sends His one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God, to also become fully man, to live the perfect sinless life that all human beings, from Adam all the way down to me and you, were supposed to live, but we could never live. And then at the end of his life, when he should have been crowned, when he should have been celebrated, he wasn't. I mean, he was crowned, but with a crown of thorns. He wasn't celebrated. He was condemned. He was tortured. He was lynched. He was murdered. And all the human suffering that he was going through on the cross was just a little dim reflection of the eternal suffering that the Bible says God was literally pouring out His wrath and His anger on the Jesus, on the cross, for the sins of all the people throughout all time that would ever trust in Christ. So that if somebody, a sinner like me or you, were to look at Christ and trust in Him and say, He's my Lord, He's my Savior, He's my Master, He's my representative, He's my proxy, He takes my place, that God says, okay, then you're forgiven. You're forgiven, clean and full. You're absolved. You're brought into the family. You're adopted. Now, I know for most of us growing up in Birmingham, the belt buckle of the South, we've heard that message before. And so why am I, in a sense, kind of starting with that? Because that's what Paul's referring to here. And it's, it's important. Maybe the greatest danger for people like me and probably most of you, I grew up in the church, right? It's like I was going to church before I you know, could crawl. 
probably three or four times a week, whether I wanted to or not. And you get this stuff lovingly by your parents jammed down your throat. <laughs> Even if you really believe it, there's a, there's a huge danger of getting bored with it, of getting numb to it. And we don't need to do that. And what Paul is doing is saying, guys, when you really think about how rich in mercy God has been to you, the response ought to be, I'm so happy, I'm so glad, I'm so joyful, I'm so thankful. Just singing praise songs isn't enough. That didn't even scratch the surface. Just going to church one hour on Sunday morning is not enough. I want to live my entire life where every thought, every word, every deed is an expression of thank you, God, for saving a wretched, screwed up sinner like me. Okay? That's how this whole chapter starts, chapter 12. And why are we doing this? Because the first really specific way he talks about serving God in a way that can be praised to him is by using the spiritual gifts. All right, so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And he's going to give us some good information about spiritual gifts. And we're going to look at it. He's basically going to say, use your spiritual gifts in three different ways. Use your spiritual gifts in humility, in diversity, and charity. And we'll explain more about that as we go. So, Romans chapter 12, and look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each assigned to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So he doesn't use the word humility in that verse, but the concept is all over it. He's saying, listen, I've been given grace. Why am I the one that gets to write this letter and tell you what to do? Well, God chose me to be an apostle to write it. But I didn't work my way up to it. God just had grace on me. And God's had grace on you as well. Every Christian has some spiritual gift. But it's a grace. You've been given it. It's a gift. You didn't earn it. It wasn't because you were smart enough or you were a hard enough worker. It's just a grace. And so when you use it, you should always use it with humility. You should never be looking around saying, my gifts are better than this guy. Now, here's the reality. We're not going to take time to do this. But if you went over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, there's a place where Paul says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And then he basically says, especially prophecy. And so part of what Paul's saying is some gifts are better than others. They just are. Listen, we don't like that today in America, right? We like to say, no, 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 whatever you have, whatever your gift is, we're all equal. You know, it doesn't matter. And it's like, well, that's, that, that sounds sweet. That sounds like a Hallmark card. It's not biblical. It's not true. Some gifts are better than others. And Paul says, you know, if you're praying, you ought to pray for some of the better gifts, like prophecy, which that's not about primarily telling the future. It's more just about preaching the word. But here's the thing. Even if you're somebody like the Apostle Paul, who probably had lots of the gifts. He's an apostle. He was an evangelist. He was certainly a great preacher. He had a lot of things going for him. Great leader. When you use them, you should use them in humility. Okay? I'm kind of saying something nice about preachers right now, so let me say something mean about preachers. Okay? Just to kind of level the playing field. Have you ever, anywhere, at any time in your life, heard somebody preaching a sermon, and you don't have x-ray vision, so you can't see their heart, but you kind of got the feel. You know what? It seems like this guy is more just trying to show off how smart he is. He didn't really seem like he's trying to feed me the word. It's more like he's just trying to impress me with, I don't know, big words, long quotes, you know, something like that. I heard John MacArthur's pastor out in California say one time he went to a church and he said, you know, I went to church. I wanted to see Jesus. I couldn't see Jesus because the pastor kept getting in the way. All right? <laughs> Now, why, why do I share that? Because there is a sinful way to use your gifts, whatever they may be. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, is, is a slap dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Lord Jesus Christ says this, 
Beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people. That's not bad in and of themselves. I mean, in some sense, I'm practicing, hopefully, some righteousness in front of y'all right now, trying to exercise my gifts. But here's the key phrase. In order to be seen by them, that's when you get in trouble. If the motive of your heart is, I'm going to go over here and use my gift, and I want people to see me, and I want them to be real impressed. Right? He says, thus, he talks about a different gift. When you give to the needy, that's a good thing to do. You can have the spiritual gift of giving. You're just a sacrificial giver. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets in order to be praised by other people. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. Now, we could go off on that passage. I'm not going to do it. But it's really interesting when you read that passage. Jesus says, there's a right way you ought to serve. And the right way to serve in humility is to say, I want to make God my Father in heaven happy. Go back to what we said at the beginning. He's been so good to me. I want to be good to him. And the way I can do it is by serving him, by ministering to his people. Do you remember when Peter, John chapter 21, was getting restored to the office of apostle after he denied Christ? He thought he ought to be out. And part of what Jesus said three different times, do you really love me, Peter? Do you really love me? Do you really love me? And every time Peter's saying, yes, yes, yes. And every time Jesus would respond, feed my sheep. And Martin Luther has this great quote which says, listen, God doesn't need your good works. Right? What does God need with your good works? God's doing fine. God was doing fine with the whole universe before you even existed. He didn't need you. But your neighbor needs your good works. And so the point is, when you have this overflowing sense of love in your heart for God, you ought to say, who's a neighbor I can serve? Who's somebody in the church? Who's somebody in my neighborhood? Who's somebody at my work that I can serve? Because they need me. And that's the way that I can express love and affection and gratitude to God is by serving those around me. But you've got to do it with a humble attitude. You can't do it with a, hey, look at me. Look how gifted I am. Look how sacrificial I am. I really hope you say thank you. There ought to be a sense in, hey, I'm happy to serve, and I don't care if you say thank you. Because in some sense, I'm not really doing it for you anyway. Yes, I'm serving you to help you, but I'm doing it to honor my Father who's in heaven. Game changer when you really start to live that way. Right? Again, don't do a show of hands. Got a men's Bible study this morning, okay? I'm guessing the majority of us are married. Hypothetically, have you ever tried to serve your wife at some point, thinking you're a godly husband, and then when she did not notice or say thank you or even smile in your direction, maybe, God forbid, she even kind of complained about the service that you gave. You got really bent out of shape. Why was that? What was your real motive? You weren't really trying to be this great godly husband and honor Christ with the way you were serving your wife. What were you doing? You were doing the old, I'll scratch your back, baby, but you better scratch my back later. And when it didn't look like she was going to scratch your back, you got mad. And listen, put that same litmus test on the way you use your spiritual gifts. Are you going around using your spiritual gifts just desperate for a thank you? Just desperate for somebody to acknowledge you? Probably not a good motive. It's got to come out of humility. I'm doing this for the Lord. I could almost care less, almost, if people notice. Of course, it's nice to get encouragement, but that's not what I'm doing it for. You've got to be humble. Skip down to verse 16, which will kind of be the end of the passage that we're going to look at today. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. What's the key to harmony? Humility. Do not be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. So it's almost a bookend on these verses that we're going to look today. Humility, guys. You've got to start with humility. You've got to end with humility. Don't look down on others. Don't get into the comparison game. If somebody's got more gifts than you, great. Praise the Lord for them. 
If you think maybe you got a better gift than somebody else, be humble, thank the Lord for it, but just use it. Listen, here's one last way to think about humility and we'll move on. Okay, it's this. Humility says, humility is just honesty, guys. And if you're struggling with humility, and maybe you think, man, I, you know, I want to be humble, so I'm not going to say this out loud after all this. Uh, but I really, I kind of feel like a modern-day Apostle Paul. I feel like i got about eight gifts, you know. Everything I touch in ministry turns to gold. I just trying to be humble, but it's hard. I'm just so gifted. Quit comparing yourself to other human beings and start comparing yourself to Christ, the God-man. And if your brain's working, you'll get humble real quick, right? If we live more out of the vertical relationship, I'm more aware of my Father in heaven, my Savior in heaven. I'm in awe of him. I'm in love with him. I'm motivated by him. And also... When I'm tempted to compare myself to somebody, I compare myself to him. You'll stay real humble. And you'll stay real service-oriented. Okay? But if I get too focused on my horizontal relationships, whether that's with my wife, my coworkers, or whatever, you will ride the roller coaster of pride. Okay? And listen, if the comparison game is always a lose-lose game, right? Because either you're looking to the left and the right, and you're like, I feel like I am doing better than most of these people. And you're arrogant. That's not good. <laughs> Or you'll look to the left and the right and you'll feel like, I feel like I'm doing terrible. And then you'll be kind of depressed and full of despair and down on yourself and you're not going to help anybody either. Look at Christ. And here's part of what looking at Christ does. It gives you humble confidence. right? I'm, because listen, the first part of the gospel is really bad news. You were so wicked. You were so screwed up that you deserve to burn in hell for eternity. And the only chance that you could ever be saved was that God would have to have his only sinless son slaughtered in your place. Well, that's pretty terrifying. I mean, that's pretty, if that doesn't humble you, nothing will. But at the exact same time that the gospel is humbling us down in the dirt, it's also lifting us up because it says, guess what? God did love you that much. He chose you. He adopted you. He was willing to have his one holy, perfect, sinless son crucified in your place. So in the same moment, there ought to be depths of humility and heights of joy and exaltation. But it's humble confidence because it's not based in my work. It's based on a gift that's been given to me. You've got to exercise your gifts in humility. Second point, okay, diversity. And we should really say diversity and unity, and I'll explain what I mean. Okay? But look at verse 4. For as one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, so he lists out seven different gifts. But at first he gives this illustration of we're all like the body of Christ. Because he's saying, listen, when you get saved, when God calls you to himself, he doesn't only call you into a personal relationship with himself. He does do that. It's not less than that. It's just more than that. He also calls you into the family of God, the team of God, which is on mission. Now, you know, we got this new football league, right? The USFL, I think that's what it's called here, kind of almost based in Birmingham. And let's say we had somebody this morning, super wealthy, had a bunch of money, didn't know what to do. He said, hey, I want to start a new football team. And he hired me and you, you know, you were going to be the head coach. 
And uh, I was going to be the, the recruiter and the scout and all that. And so I came to you and I said, head coach, what's the most important player we need? He said, quarterback. Got to have a great quarterback. Most important player. I said, I'm on it. And I came back about a month later. I said, I'm taking all this money this uh, wealthy donor's given us. And I went out and I hired the 22 best quarterbacks in the universe. Now, if you're much of a coach, you're going to say, hey, you're a moron. We do need one really good quarterback. We might even need two or three. We don't need 22, right? I mean, you got you got to have other players, offensive linemen, running backs, receivers. You even need a punter and a place kicker, right? They're not really important, but they're kind of important, right? <laughs> the point is, part of a healthy body, part of a healthy team is there's different roles. And you, you've got to learn how to operate in unity, but also diversity, I mean, what if we said, what's the most important external part of your body? You know, I, I think the eye, man. I mean, if I, I don't want to lose an eye. And I said, great, I'm going to take away all your fingers, all your toes. I'm going to give you 22 eyes. Like, no, nope, that's a bad deal. I want something that operates the way it's created to be operated with all the different parts. And the body of Christ is the same way. We need some people that lead. We need some people that serve. We need some people that preach. We need some people that counsel and encourage. We need some people behind the scenes. They're just giving. They're just serving. They're just sacrificial in their giving. But we need other people to organize it and plan it. Make sense? And you've got to find your unique role and then embrace it. And don't get sucked in the comparison game. Go back and see point one again. We've got to be, guys, living out of humility. Because, listen, if you're not living out of humility, there's a guarantee you'll get sucked in the comparison game. It's a bad thing. Now, when I was a little kid growing up, I was pretty overweight, all right? So, you know, most time, pretty overweight people, you're not the most athletic on the field, right? You're not the guy that gets picked first for the kickball team. And going into seventh grade, I lost a bunch of weight. And I went out for the middle school football team. I made the middle school football team. But at that point, I never played football in my life. and not played much anything. And I was just so excited to be there. And I was so excited. like, man, I've lost weight. I'm in shape. I made the team. So literally every time we had a game, I'd get by the coach. I was on the sideline a lot, right? Still my first time playing. And he was just like, put me in, coach. And at some level, I was just too stupid to know better and just happy to be there, right? It's like, I'm just happy to be on the team. Put me in. You know, who's coming out? He's like, oh, and that's the quarterback. You don't have a prayer. No way. I'm not putting you in there. I I just wanted to be on the field playing. And there was something about this kind of joy. Hey, I'm a new person. I just want to get on the field, coach. Now listen, was it perfect and sinless? No. But there did seem to be almost something at times that was a little bit innocent and pure. I just want to be a part of the team. I just want to be serving anywhere, coach. Put me in anywhere. I'll be the punter if you want me to be the punter. That ought to be our attitude in the Christian church. Hey, I might be the worst one here. I'm just happy to be on the team, God. I'm just glad I'm not going to hell. It doesn't get much better than that. Put me in wherever you want me to be. You want me to work in the nursery? That's not my first choice, but I'll do it. That's what you want. Got to get started somewhere. That ought to be our attitude, guys. Just put me in, coach. I'm so happy, God, that you brought me on this team. Just let me serve somewhere. And if that's your heart, you'll get in the right place. Now, you all know this almost certainly. There's about four different lists in the Bible of the spiritual gifts. Okay, the main one is here and in 1 Corinthians. John MacArthur, same preacher I mentioned earlier, he has a great quote. He says, The emphasis in each list is not on believers identifying their gift perfectly. So I hope that frees some of you up. Right? Some of you have probably been Christians 30 years, you know, I'm still not exactly sure what my gift is. Get over yourself. Okay? 
You don't have to write a term paper on it. Nobody's going to grade it. But on faithfully using the unique enablement God has given each. The fact that the two lists differ clearly implies the gifts are like a palette of basic colors from which God selects to blend a unique hue for each disciple. Some of the oldest gentlemen in the room, okay? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, right? But if we got anybody, you know, on up there, you probably think back when you were a little kid and you got a box of crayons, probably had about three colors in there, right? The primary colors. And you're like, that's insulting. There were eight, right? Okay. Nowadays, you go buy crayons. I don't, I don't guess you buy crayons for your kids anymore because they're on the computer all the time, right? But even if, you know, when I was a kid and you bought crayons, there might be 128 how many different shades of blue can there be? But God's a master creator. And he can do that. He can take three primary colors and he can make hundreds of colors. Different little nuances. And with just seven or eight or nine gifts, he can make thousands, billions of different gift packages. And so, yes, you need to be growing in wisdom trying to figure out the way that you can uniquely serve in the church, but don't feel like you've got to go through this list and say, I have 10% of this one, 80% of this one. You don't have to do that. Okay? Don't overthink it. So you want to serve in humility. You want to serve in diversity. But then third, you want to serve in charity. And that's just another word for love. Okay? Uh, go back to verse 9. Let love be genuine. So don't be a hypocrite. Don't be fake. When you love people, do it genuinely from the heart. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Okay. Uh, John Gill, this old Baptist commentator, one of the things, he said, glue yourself to what is good. Be stuck to it. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I mean, I've said repeatedly this morning, don't get caught up in the comparison game. But if there is one type of competition that you ought to get caught up in in the Christian church, it's trying to outdo one another in honor. You know, I want to serve you more. No, 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 I want to I genuinely honor you more. No, no, I want to put you first. Now, how can I help you? That's a good competition to be in, in the Christian church. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. So, Lord, I mean, you ought to be passionate about using your gift, whether it's one or two or three or four. Where can I get on the field? Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So even when it's hard, I mean, there was some persecution going on in the Roman Empire at that time. That's no excuse to take a break. Have you ever noticed when Paul personally was going through persecution, when he was like in prison, I mean, it's like almost half the letters he wrote to these churches to encourage them, he was in prison when he wrote them. But he never, that I'm aware of, and maybe I should have done a better study before I say this, but I'm pretty sure, he never said, hey guys, I pray you, I get out of here real quick. Please pray I don't get tortured again. You know, my back's getting eaten up. Just, he's always praying, hey, while I'm in prison, just pray I'll get boldness. Right? Whether I'm in prison or out of prison. He just was praying, I want to keep using my gifts as long as I'm alive. Even in persecution, that ought to be our attitude. Okay? Why? Because we love other people and because we love the Lord. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's one of the best ways that we can practically love people. That when they're happy, we're not envious, we're not jealous, but we say, man, I'm happy that you're happy. Praise the Lord. And when somebody else is suffering, we can say, I feel sympathy. I suffer with you. 
Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. All right, so as you use your gifts, you're doing it all in love. Now, I want to get hyper-practical here. Got some application, okay? Uh, so four different questions that I want us to think about by way of application. How do you know what your gifts are? Now, all of, I'm about to throw out a bunch of questions, and they're all written down on the piece of paper, so you don't have to write them down. Just, I, I just want you to listen to this part. If you're taking notes, maybe stop for just a second and just listen to these questions. You got them all written down, okay? Look out. What do I mean by that? Look out at the needs around you and just start serving somewhere. I remember the first time that when I was a kid, I went to somebody's lake house and they had a jet ski and they're like, here, get on the jet ski and go out there and ride. You know, and there were two of us. We were like, listen, here's the thing. If you think you're about to hit something, people's natural reaction on the jet ski is to take their hand off the gas and then to try to turn. But the way this jet ski is configured, if there's no gas being given to the engine and you try to turn, the turning mechanism won't work. So you'll just run into the boat slower. Okay? <laughs> Keep your hand on the gas and turn it. And it's the same way with a human being. It's much easier to move you and direct you if you're already an object in motion. So rather than just sit back and trying to ponder forever, what do I really think my spiritual gifts are? I think I'll go on a 40-day fasting retreat in the mountain and try to figure it out. Listen, if you want to go on a 40-day fasting retreat, I have loads of respect for you. But that's probably not the best way to figure out your gift. The first thing is just dive in. Just start somewhere. And usually confirmation will come from the doing. Let me just give you a personal story. One time my wife and I were out of town for a couple of days, and I was reading this biography on George Whitfield. And he is one of these guys that seems like he had all the gifts, or he had a lot of them, right? He's a preacher. He's an evangelist. He even started an orphanage. He was doing all this kind of mercy ministry. And as I'm reading it, I'm kind of getting convicted because I'm like, you know, I do some preaching. I do a little bit of evangelism. But I don't, I mean, I do like bare minimum mercy ministry. So I'm like, man, I need to do more, more mercy ministry. So I'm kind of praying, Lord, where do I need to get involved in mercy ministry? My wife and I, we were out of town. We came back a day earlier than we had planned. Uh, we had a dog at that time, and we had asked this elderly woman to come over and feed our dog while we were gone. So I got home first. My wife had to go do something. I come home, and then knock, knock, knock. Here comes this elderly woman. She's wanting to feed the dog. And so I'm kind of like, here's my chance. Practice mercy ministry. Try to love this woman, talk to her, you know. And it was like the worst 30 minutes of my life. Uh, no offense, right? And, and so she left. I was like, okay, God, I don't think I'm called to mercy ministry, okay? You got to know your gifts. You got to know your strengths. Now, listen, does that mean I never need to do anything in mercy ministry? No, I need to be a good Christian and do mercy ministry just like you do. But I probably don't need to go start a, a, a Bible study for elderly women anytime soon. I just don't think that's my calling, okay? Maybe that's your calling. We need somebody to do it, okay? There's a lot of things I'm not gifted to do. I, I like teaching Bible studies like this. I don't want to be uh, leading small groups with middle school and high school girls, right? But I'm glad our church has people that like to lead Bible studies with middle school and high school girls because I got one, and somebody needs a disciple okay? So know yourself, but the best way is just jump in and get started. I mean, even biblically, when they appointed the first deacons before they even called them deacons, you had these two guys named Stephen and Philip, up-and-coming guys in the church, and at first they said, hey, we want you guys to serve, and you know the way we want you to serve? We want you to manage the money and manage the food. Distributing food to poor widows. And they dove in. But guess what? Before it was over, they'd both become preachers. They'd both become evangelists. Just get started somewhere. The Lord will move you where he wants. So you start out looking out, okay? What needs are you most drawn to help? Okay? The second thing. Then you start to look in. 
What are you the most consumed with? What do you? What makes you the most passionate? Right? What can make you pound the table sometimes in excitement or anger? Or what makes you cry? Okay. What gets you out of bed early in the morning? What keeps you up late at night? Because you're just so desperate. I want to do this thing. That's looking in your passions. Okay. And then look back. Where have you seen the most fruit and productivity in ministry already? Look back. Where's God already used you? What have you been the best at? What have you enjoyed the most? Guys, part of the gifting is a lot of times you enjoy using your gifts. It's not a begrudging service. What can you do the most naturally? What comes the easiest to you? Here's a question that I found to be super helpful. Okay, What actually gives you life and energy to do, although it seems to drain others? Does that make sense? Okay. Again, sorry for using personal example, but it's just the ones that I know the best. In the campus outreach world, the ministry that I primarily work with, okay, we hire a lot of people that tend to be really gifted in evangelism and really gifted in leadership. Most of them are not as gifted in teaching. And so very early on in the ministry, I started realizing, you know, somebody would say, hey, we need somebody to speak at the, at the weekly meeting. And, like, everybody was like, not me, not me, looking at the shoes, right? Last time I had to preach somewhere, I threw up in the bathroom seven times before. They, they were miserable. And I was like, I'll do it. I, I like to do it. I'll, I'll get fired up doing it, Right? I mean, I might have to put in eight or ten hours a day or whatever, but I'll, but I'll have so much energy I can't hardly go to sleep at night. That's a sign of gift. When you can do it and it almost empowers you and it doesn't drain you. And then look up. And what do I mean by that? Look to your leaders. Look to your community. Great story I heard about Charles Spurgeon. Somebody came to him one Sunday night at church and says, the Lord has told me that I'm supposed to preach at your church next Sunday night. And uh, Spurgeon said, well, that's not true because if he'd have told wanted you to do it, he'd have told me too, and he ain't told me that, okay? So just because, listen, I, I meant what I said earlier, just get started somewhere serving. But then you do need to be sensitive to the leadership of the church, right? And so if you say, hey, next week, I'm going to show up early and bring breakfast and do all that, Eric will probably say thank you. Thank you for exercising your service gift. Knock yourself out, right? That's an extra half hour of sleep that Eric can get next week. But if for whatever reason Eric says, quality control, COVID protocol, blah, 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 stop it in the name of the Lord. You need to be humble and say, okay, I guess service is not my gift, right? Get started, but then there is a right way to look up, look around, ask the community around you, okay? What do your leaders or your peers in church or ministry or family say you're gifted at? Because sometimes we can think, I'm really gifted at this, and everybody's like, you're not gifted at that, right? Find another gift. What are you the go-to person for? What do people already ask you to do all the time? Where do you get the most requests to help? Okay, now, all those were written down, uh, so maybe you can use those. I'll, I'll, I'll say more about how to do discussion at the end, okay? But then the second thing. The more you grow, the more you will know, and vice versa. And I'm, I'm really encouraged to see so many older, wiser gentlemen here. Because here's something, I, as best I can tell, I've really been walking with the Lord for about 30 years. And I started understanding my gifts fairly early on, maybe in the first couple of years in high school even. But I understand them a lot better today than I did when I was 18. Make sense? And at some level, you become a Christian, and it's almost like, okay, my gifts, my area of ministry is somewhere in this 180 degrees. All the stuff back there is sinful. Everything back over here is free game. And as long as you're alive, it ought to be closing in, and you ought to be becoming less and less of a shotgun blast 
and more and more laser focused. But I think, I can rightly say, even Pastor Reader in his 70s would tell you, and I think Pastor Reader knows his gifts pretty well, but I think he's still growing, he's still understanding, he's still getting more clarity on exactly where he needs to focus in. Does that make sense? As long as you're alive and you're still in the game, guys, you can be growing, you can be developing your gifts, you can be getting more clarity, and you should be. We shouldn't be passive. You shouldn't be saying, oh, I've been doing this thing 50, 60 years, i got it figured out. No, you hadn't. You probably got it mostly figured out, but if you could even get 1% to 2% more clarity on how you can best use your gifts to serve the Lord and serve the church, you should do it. Okay. Almost done here. Third thing, really practical, I want us to think about, okay? Just because you don't have a certain gift doesn't mean you have no responsibility in that area, right? We know that. I mean, one of the gifts was giving, but then when he, Paul gets down to some of those generic commands, I think verse 13, he says, everybody should be contributing to the needs of the saints. So you can't say, I don't have the gift of giving. Good for me, I don't have to tithe anymore, all right? The idea of a gift is it just it comes easy to you. It comes naturally to you. You see more fruit in that area, so you should spend more time and energy in that area, not that you should never do it. Okay? And the fourth practical question would be, listen, it's not even a question, it's just advice. Listen, I don't know how much you've been paying attention, but if you pay attention just a little bit, in the church and in the world, it's a war zone out there, Right? There's a lot of people that are struggling. There's a lot of marriages that are struggling. There's a lot of families that are being torn apart. It's a disaster zone. We need all hands on deck. Please don't be sitting on the bench saying, I'm not the most gifted. I'm not the smart. I'm not the... Okay, probably you're not. But we can use you somewhere on the team. We need you. Dive in. What about quality control, right? I already said, listen, get busy moving in a certain direction. There's a great story of this we won't take time to look at, but if you go to Acts 18, there's this young and upcoming preacher named Apollos, and it talks about how fervent he was, and he's out there preaching. But then, a couple, probably older than him, not even necessarily in full-time ministry, they had a lot of wisdom, named Priscilla and Aquila, they pull him to the side, and they instruct him more faithfully in the knowledge of the Lord and the gospel. And he was humble enough to listen, and then he went on his way, and his ministry even grew. So, when leaders in the church come and say, hey, thank you for your serving, but can I give you some advice? Can I be humble to accept it? Okay. Now, in conclusion, okay, uh, part of what makes this passage so great is this, guys. Paul practices what he preaches. I mean, he was an apostle. He was one of the top 13 guys founding the New Testament church, writing the Bible. I mean, a third of the New Testament is written by Paul. If there was ever a guy that had seemingly most, if not all, the gifts, and he could have come in and said, I command you, I'm telling you what to do. He, didn't, he, was, he was much more humble. I urge you guys. And he was working in conjunction with other people. He was always traveling with people like Priscilla and Aquila, doing ministry on team. And you can, when you read his letters, I mean, you can just feel the love coming out of his heart. Paul practiced what he preached. He's a great example not just teacher, but even Paul is just a dim reflection of the greatest example of this of all time. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, just think briefly, guys. If there ever was a man that literally had all the spiritual gifts, it was the Lord Jesus. But his whole ministry started in humility. Because where did his ministry start? It started in heaven. In heaven, on a throne, ruling everything with all peace, with all security, with all happiness, with all joy, with all bliss. And he said, you know what? Although I have the right to be here, I'm not going to grasp onto it. I'm going to lay it all aside. I'm going to go down there and enter the fray, enter the war zone, become a man, a poor man, a humble man, and I'm going to serve amongst them. 
I'm going to spend three years with knuckleheads like Peter. And I'm going to do it in love. And even the Lord Jesus, there's a sense in which he serves in diversity and unity. And what do I mean by that? Even our God, mysteriously, the Christian God, three in one, the Father plans salvation, the Son accomplished salvation, the Holy Spirit applies salvation. Everything we've been talking about this morning, guys, is just us saying, look at how the Lord Jesus served me by being willing to live in my place, die in my place, rise in my place. Lots of humility, lots of love. To whatever degree I have a gift that he's given me, I need to gladly go out and use it in humility and love to serve others. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, please give us wisdom. Please give us wisdom how we can best use our gifts to serve you. Please protect us from the danger of pride in all of our hearts that gets tempted at times to exalt ourselves. May we be passionate to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to trust you to reward us in the proper time and the proper way. And Lord, as much as is realistic in this sinful culture with indwelling sin still living in our hearts, would you give us more and more of that pure motivation that just says, I'm so in love with Christ. I'm so overwhelmed and overcome with how good he has been to me, how good, Lord Jesus, you continue to be to us, and how good you're planning and promising to be to us for all eternity, that we would just be overwhelmed by joy, love, and happiness. We would want to go out serve our socks off using our gifts for your glory, not for ours. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you have any questions for Olin, please email him at olin.stubbs at campusoutreach.org.